It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins. That's right, Guys Guys Radio here on KCAA in Southern California and all over the internet worldwide. Download us, stream us anywhere, anytime. We've got a great show for you this evening. We've got two guests. We're going to do another Guys Guys twofer. We've got Kelly Harding. She's a, a medical doctor in uh, New York City, and she's written a book called The Rabbit Effect. And it's about living longer, happier, and healthier lives uh, through the science of kindness. You never think about science and kindness in the same sentence, but she's written a book based on a study that was done with rabbits and the rabbits that were treated more lovingly actually had healthier lives and more longevity than the uh, other rabbits that were um, more isolated and not treated as uh, humanely, if you will. I don't think they were treated bad, but they just weren't treated with as much love and comfort. So we're going to have a talk with Kelly, and also we're going to get into uh, astrology with uh, Linda Moonrabbit Zlotnik. She likes to be called Moon. She's written a book about uh, her being a twin sister identical twin and her sister passing a few years ago. It's called Star Sisters, an Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. And we're also going to uh, help out by, uh, uh, Moon is going to give us an overview on how astrology works and the, the difference between, you know, what you read in the papers or online with the daily ones, which are more entertainment-based and written by writers, not really by master astrologers, and what the signs really have to say to us as in terms of uh, being mirrors of our lives. So we're going to get into sun signs and moon signs and the significance of those. And she actually has done my chart based on the date of my birth, the place of my birth, and also the exact time of day of my birth. So it should, should, should be pretty cool. We've got a great show for you. Well, here I am in my dwindling days in New York City before I make the move to Southern California. And when you get into autumn in New York City, after a long summer, we had a wonderful summer here, uh, things start to change. It gets a little darker quicker at night. It gets a little cooler. You get those cool breezes here at night. And it's really, all my years in New York City, I have to say that the fall, September, October, are really the most wonderful times of the year. Now you talk about spring being like the beginning, spring anew. But here in New York, fall is when everything seems to start and the city really comes alive. A lot of people either leave in the summer or they chill out and it gets really hot and the heat here and the sun here are very strong and if there's some humidity with it, it's not like Georgia or anything, but it's still, it's not super comfortable and uh, sometimes the streets and the garbage cans uh, are overflowing with trash, the streets are not that clean, it's hot because of the asphalt, the buildings retain a lot of heat, the skyscrapers, so not that comfortable, but once autumn comes and people get back to town, and it really things start to change. It's really a city anew filled with hopes and dreams. New York City, you've got here, we've got football. We've got two football teams, the Jets and the Giants. We've got the Yankees and the Mets. We've got the U.S. Open. You've got a lot of arts happening, launching, premiering. You've got new films. You've got Broadway. You've got museum shows. You've got music at Lincoln Center. And it's uh, new restaurants and New York is just like, in my opinion, America is. It's an, it's an idea. It's a concept. So a lot of people get upset like, oh, my favorite old restaurant or bookstore closed. But there's always something new. And it's impossible, I can tell you from being here over 30 years, you can't keep up with New York. And it's futile to attempt to do that. You just have to go with the flow 
and experience New York for what it is and how it changes and be part of that and be part of the consciousness and make it as good a place as it can be. Be kind to other people and do your very best to get the best out of New York, but also give back. It's been, for me, it's been a long-term love affair with New York City. It's taken me from my highest highs. I've been here from my lowest lows, and uh, it's very special. I'll be getting into that more in another broadcast, but uh, fall in New York, autumn in New York, as Frank Sinatra sings, is a wonderful, wonderful time of year. So we're Guys Guys Radio. We've got two guests, a two for for you, and I can't wait to get started. Special guest, Kelly Harding. She has written a book. She's an MD and an MPH. And she's written, written a book called The Rabbit Effect. And it's all about how treating people and animals with kindness helps our longevity and helps us all live better lives. I think it's a fantastic concept. It's a great book. It's called Live Longer, Happier and Healthier with the Groundbreaking Science of Kindness, The Rabbit Effect. Kelly Harding, welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, my pleasure. Um, so I think the our audience is interested in what about the rabbits? So why don't we start at the obvious places? How did <laughs> this whole thing rabbits? start? I mean, I love the notion of, and I believe you completely about, um, you know, if you're kinder and you study more and you keep learning and you stay joyful, you know, you have a better chance of longevity. But the fact that you have uh, validated that quantitatively uh, from a study on rabbits, I think is amazing. So tell us about that. Sure. So we'll start with the rabbits, but I do want to say the caveat that the rabbits are just the beginning of a much bigger story. So, um, you know, so what this is, is that, you know, when I was starting out in my career, I kept noticing this mismatch between what was expected from sort of the textbook descriptions of disease and then what I was actually seeing in the hospital. And so, I ended up following this course where I thought maybe it had something to do with the mind-body connection. So I ended up training initially in internal medicine and then psychiatry. Um, and I still didn't really feel like I had an answer. So because of that, I ended up doing a research fellowship at Columbia looking at medically unexplained symptoms. And I still didn't really feel like I had a great answer. So I ended up um, learning through one of my mentors, a really lovely fellow named Arthur Barsky, about this rabbit study that was done back in the 70s. So what that was, was, you know, back in the late 70s, there was this question about how diet impacts heart health. So Dr. Robert Neerum was doing this very basic science study, you know, feeding practically genetically identical rabbits, high fat diets. And he found this curious thing where one group of rabbits was having much better health outcomes than all the other groups. And so at first he thought there was something wrong with the protocol, but then he ended up repeating it and finding the same thing. And they looked up and they realized that the one group of rabbits was all under the care of this particularly kind researcher who wasn't just giving the rabbits you know, food. She was also petting the rabbits, talking to the rabbits, picking them up. She was giving them love and kindness. So they replicated the study one more time, even though they weren't behavioral scientists, and they got the same results. So this was really sort of a groundbreaking study showing that the social environment was actually getting under the skin somehow. Wow, incredible. And has studies like this been done with any other types of animals? 
Well, so here's the thing. So, so I, this isn't just some one-off study. It turns out, in fact, that the field of public health has for decades been studying how our social world impacts our health. And it's really eye-opening as a physician because I think, you know, most of us, when we think about health, we think about, you know, diet, exercise, getting enough sleep, and the occasional trip to the doctor. And, you know, those things are all important, but it turns out, you know, you know, while quality medical care is critical, it probably only accounts for about 10 to 20% of our overall health. And that means while genes play a role, the other big factor is our social world and our relationships to other people. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that uh, loneliness uh, and chronic loneliness increases the odds of coronary heart disease and stroke by about 30%. That's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Is that? Do you think there is a connection, uh, Dr. Harding, between uh, loneliness and the heart and the fact that the heart uh, gets diseased that way? Because, you know, uh, loneliness being a heart-based type of malady, do you think there's a connection there? Oh, well, so as I talk about in the rabbit effect, it's probably, so again, looking at, you know, it's amazing because, you know, loneliness, it turns out, is as significant a risk factor, you know, for all causes of mortality as, as um, you know, things like smoking, uh, like 15 cigarettes a day or, mm-hmm. you know, heavy alcohol use or even high blood pressure. But it's not you know, it's not something typically, most doctors don't usually ask you about like, hey, did you call someone you love this week? <laughs> or, right, you know, right. like, the, or did you meet up with a friend for basketball or that kind of thing? But it turns out that that's really critical. And it probably has to do with this bigger picture. And it's sort of what I get into with looking at all these hidden factors that affect our health is that, you know, our we have things throughout our day that buffer our stress levels and, you know, connection to other people is one of those big things. And so probably it's mediated through the stress response and inflammation that comes from that. And so, you know, there are all these like really interesting studies sort of looking at like across all diseases, how inflammation affects us. So, so here's the takeaway for your listeners. So we all have stress in our lives. I mean, that's just part of being a human being, right? And especially if you live in New York, I forget, are you a New Yorker, yeah. Robert? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, 35 so. years. I'm actually moving to California in a week. You are? Yep. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's New York's loss. Um, but the idea, <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that we all have things that we can do in our day-to-day lives that help us feel better. And, you know, I think it's it's funny because on the one hand, it's common sense that we just feel better when we feel like, you know, our coworkers have our back, that our friends have our back, that, you know, our, our relationships are loving and supportive. But it turns out that's actually affecting us on a microscopic level as well. Do you think, uh, just uh, the subject of New York, because you're a New Yorker, Kelly? Yeah, Okay, so because uh, I know you're transplanted at, New Yorker, I should say. Okay, so you're you're up at Columbia. Yes. Okay, so you're in. I'm I'm in the neighborhood. Do you think that in life in New York, um, with the stress level and just living here, beyond you know, the people come here and from wherever, and uh, everybody's kind of doing what they can to make it to really make a mark. It's a very Type A type of city. Do you think that level of stress, and then in the communities, there's stress living around in New York City because, you know, I was on the subway yesterday, uh, it was a Sunday, and um, from the time of this recording, and uh, there was so many people jammed on the subway and people, old people, people, baby, car- baby strollers, very stressful. Uh, do you think that uh, 
life in New York is, uh, and, and the statistics prove it out that life in New York is tougher to live than other places and impacts health? Well, so there's actually these big populations. So the, the short answer is it depends how you interpret the stress to some extent. So there are pros and cons to living in cities. And one of the pros actually is you're surrounded by people, but it's also up to you how you engage with them. Um, and, you know, those it, those relationships can be either negative or positive, depending how you sort of approach it and how you right. mentally think about it. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing is, you know, there are, so that's on an individual level. Like, how do we think about stress? And there's actually, it's something I talk about in the rabbit effect, and it's totally mind boggling as a doctor. It turns out how we think about stress and how we perceive it actually impacts our health. Um, mm-hmm. So that means you actually have some control, whether you, not just you, but all of us have control whether we think about stress as a challenge or if we think about it as something negative damaging our health. So I think, you know, the takeaway from that for me, from all this data was basically like when you're in a stressful situation, think of it more as like you're engaging your problem solving skills and like, how can I have fun with this and make it a challenge and sort of navigate this as opposed to something like this is hurting my health. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that part of it. Then the other piece is these really elegant and interesting studies looking at, well, does it is New York a more stressful place? And it turns out the answer is, like many cities across America, it's not. It, it depends on where you live. Um, and so your connection to your neighborhood is actually a critical marker of your health. And so that means that there are ways to be more connected. And if you look across, like in you know, there are these studies called the subway studies, basically, where, you know, if you ride a subway like here in New York City from Spring Street and Soho, you know, up to the Bronx, you start to see like really different health factors like waistlines and other measures of health. And so it actually, you know, it's hard to talk about cities as one place entirely because people have very different health outcomes depending where they live, the safety of their neighborhoods or the perceived safety of their neighborhoods and also, you know, access to healthy foods as well. Yeah, it's interesting uh, you said that because I I noticed having lived in different areas of the city, now I'm uptown on the west side, is that uh, it seems like a lot of people are, they're they're not that, they don't seem that healthy, the way they walk, the way they carry themselves, the weight that they have, a lot of people needing a cane or whatever. and I think it might be due to an economic statue. Is is it the the food? How important is food to health, in your opinion, as coming from the perspective of Western medicine? Has that been acknowledged yet? The connection between diet and wellness. Sure. So there are a couple things in there. Yes, um, you know, diet is absolutely critical to health. And it's not something you know. Interestingly, it's becoming more a part of medical school curriculums, but it's you know, it's been a traditionally untapped resource in that way. Um, When you look at neighborhood health, it turns out, you know, junk food is sort of like everywhere, but it turns out it matters if you've got access to healthy green food. So things like farmer's markets make a huge difference and they're often much more affordable as well. So, you know, supporting things like that, community gardens make a real difference to health. So, um, and actually I'd also like to add that volunteering helps your health. It turns out volunteers live longer. So, you know, if you want to volunteer at a community garden, go for it because that's really one of the better things. But that's what's so amazing. It's like when you look at these health gradients, it shouldn't be like that. Clearly, there's something going on in our social environment beyond our genetics alone. And there's this saying in public health, you know, that your zip code is a 
bigger predictor of your health than your genetic code. And there, it really plays out when you look at it across the nation. Mm-hmm. How about um, emotional health? How do you factor that in in terms of overall health and longevity? I guess it's tied in with uh, how you handle stress, but it's, you know, it's, it sounds in a way easy to say, well, it depends on how you handle stress. How, how should people handle stress? <laughs> the million dollar question, right? <laughs> so, right. so um, there's no one size fits all when it comes to how we navigate stress, but there are certain practices that we can manage. So um, part of what I talk about in the book is how kindness is a practice. And it's actually a really hard practice because it sounds really nice to be kind until, you know, it's like suddenly, you know, your budget's been cut or there's some like tight deadline or there's something else going on. And it's important to recognize, you know, part of kindness is actually learning to navigate conflict in our day-to-day lives. And that's not really something most of us are taught in schools. Um, There, you know, it's unusual to take like a conflict negotiation class, but actually it's probably one of the most valuable life skills. I think, you know, when you live in a city like New York, where you're sort of like constantly seeing people during the day, you end up Mm -hmm. sort of practicing just on the fly a lot more than if you were sort of living somewhere, maybe more rural with not as many people around, but conflict is just a part of life no matter what. So, so that's a big part of it. In the book I give like, you know, nine tips that have been used by conflict resolution people around the world that seem to be helpful for solving problems and, you know, getting into less standoffs with other people. Give us a, because, uh, you know, New York, sometimes if you're underground, you're on the subway, can be pretty grim. The vibe is pretty grim some, sometimes down there. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying you, you, people are unkind. They're just in kind of grim moods. But when you're dealing with unkindness, what are you mentioned? There's a whole bunch of them in the book. Could you just share maybe the top three with us? Sure. Well, probably the first thing to do is to, and this actually kind of goes for everything is, you know, what can you do to potentially connect with a person who feels somewhat unkind? And and in order to do that, you actually have to kind of check yourself a little bit um, and your own reaction. So, um, you know, so there's a saying that hurt people hurt. So it's quite possible if somebody's being unkind to you right. or rude. It's that they're going through something that you have no idea about. So to keep that in mind is the first thing. Um, you know, one of the big things I talk about also in the rabbit effect is that, you know, trauma is kind of everywhere. It's like something we don't really talk about, but it turns out that like pretty much every other person you pass on the street has some traumatic experience from their childhood. So that's pretty startling because actually it turns out those have like big impacts on our health and our behavior down the road if they go unaddressed. So just kind of keep that in mind too. Like you don't know whatever situation you're seeing in front of you and that subway car might be triggered from something way back when you don't know. So, you know, have some empathy when you kind of approach it. Of course, you know, be safe and keep yourself safe. But I think that's the other thing is we have to figure out a way you know, true kindness goes beyond just being kind to yourself. It's like, how do we be kind to our neighborhoods, to our communities? How do we make it a supportive place for all people so that we all feel, you know, better? I think we've, especially in cities like New York, I mean, I grew up in Nevada and I think about the resources here in New York City and it's like, gosh, we've got the resources. We've just got to figure out a way to make things better for each other. Exactly. No, great point. Um, do you find that uh, the medical community is now um, recognizing the importance of uh, self-health care, if you will, as well as uh, 
spirituality, and I'll put that in quotes in terms of uh, maintaining a uh, good health based on the outlook and uh, kindness and things like that. Well, there's, so I have so much to say about it, but just to start, um, you know, there's these really cool studies now sort of looking at like optimists live longer. And what's cool about that is optimism isn't just like a, you've got it or not. It's like a, you know, it's a skill that you can develop over time. Um, and I think the other thing that we have to talk about is, you know, they're doctors for like every single bit of the body and we've gotten so super subspecialized. But I think, you know, a lot of my colleagues, I'm so excited because actually around the country, I've been getting such a great response for the rabbit effect. I think a lot of people who work in healthcare recognize, you know, we have to care about the lives of the people that we're entrusted to care for. And our current system is not so amenable to that and sort of like these brief 10 minute visits. So we have to think about how we can put more supports into place. And actually for me, that was a huge push of why I felt it was so urgent to write this book. It felt like, you know, this is the kind of thing we, it's not just about doctors and hospitals and clinics taking care of our health. Like it's something that we all need to be doing in our communities. You know, just to use an example of that, you know, probably one of the most uh, eye-opening hidden factors of our health is our education and our sense of purpose. Um, it turns out that probably for every, you know, every life saved by biomedicine, education has saved eight. And I just want you to keep that in mind because we are all lifelong learners and there's many ways that we can contribute to that. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, that's a very fair point. You know, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine and I was talking about, uh, you know, universal health care and things like that. And He's a very uh, staunch Republican. He was like, there's not enough doctors. That's the problem. And I just read something about it the other day about doctor shortage. And I'd never heard this before. And I know it's an argument used of people who are more on the Republican side, if you will. And I don't get into politics on the show here. But I'm wondering, from somebody in the medical community, a physician, is there a doctor shortage? I would say there's a care shortage. And so what we, I mean, the specifics of that. The thing we need to be keeping in mind is, you know, we spend a fortune in this country on medical care. We sort of double down on our medical care and we don't really invest in our social infrastructure very well. And that might account for, I mean, when you look at our health outcomes compared to other wealthy nations around the world, we're really not getting a great return on investment. In fact, it's, some would argue it's a really poor return on investment. And why is that? So, Um, You know, it's like it comes to things like premature deaths, more homicides, more suicides, more mental illness, more car crashes, more teen pregnancies. It's like across the board, kind of like we're not doing that great. You know, kids in the U.S. are less likely to reach the age of five than in our peer countries. You know, why is that in the wealthiest nation that's spending twice as much on medical care as everyone else? And it's probably because we're underinvesting in our community. So the great news is and you know, I think this is what's very encouraging is there's lots of data that shows that, you know, supporting activities in our communities, and sometimes this can be even as simple as, you know, peer health educators, or, you know, when it comes to mental health, we really don't have, you know, enough people trained formally as psychiatrists, but we need to rely on more people in the community that train as, you know, do mental health first aid, um, which is a really lovely thing to do if you've got the time and the inclination to try to be supports for other people. And, you know, when we need the care that it's there, but also we just need to have each other's back better. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, it's with Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny, our special guest, Kelly Harding, MD, MPH. The book is The Rabbit Effect, Live Longer, Happier, and Healthier with the Groundbreaking Science of Kindness. Let me ask you something, uh, doctor, about uh, inflammation, because you mentioned that, and it seems like inflammation is the cause of so much disease. Um, and I would think that there's a connection between energy energetic blockages in the meridians and inflammation and the creation of disease. And then a lot of people say now that a disease forms in the gut. What is the perspective of the uh, Western medical community, if you will, on some of these things that are talked about more openly now? Well, actually something I talk about in the book. So I would say that the typical approach within uh, Western medicine is skepticism. <laughs> so, um, you know, but it's what's so interesting about it is that when you sort of look across the world at how people do, like think about health and think about the interplay between the mind and the body, you know, there's so much to be learned. And it also makes you realize how we're still very much at a beginning stage of understanding all these connections. And, you know, but the one thing that seems a consistent thread is just how interconnected we are. And, you know, that's something that it's not necessarily a part of formal Western medicine, but it's a really a part of, you know, love and kindness and being connected to our communities and our homes and the people that are in them. So, um, you know, the, the long, that was a long answer to basically okay. say, <laughs> um, yeah, basically say that I think there's a lot more opportunity for bridging between how we think about health when it comes to Western biomedicine versus, um, you know, other traditions that are out there. I noticed there, I, I think the door is opening a little bit because I had surgery about five years ago and I noticed in the pamphlet for the hospital, it was NYU, uh, that uh, they had Reiki. And, uh, I, I'm oh, right, of course. Yes, and yeah. I'm a Reiki master teacher, so I asked for a Reiki practitioner after my surgery, and I got one, and it was very, exactly what I needed. And yet, uh, you know, they also gave me terrible food in the hospital, which was, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that they, they, they're getting it. Like, nurses are being trained in Reiki. There's the, the holistic and the Western medicine, in my opinion, don't have to be so separate because really, uh, my doctor said to me, well, you're the type of patient we like because you take care of yourself. And I think my takeaway from that and my message to our listeners, and correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, is that we are the ones, us as individuals, we have to manage our health as best we can by making the right choices. And then when you go in to see your doctor because they're stretched for time, they're going to find, you know, they'll see what's wrong with you. And if there's something wrong with you, they're going to work to fix it. But you have to be the one meaning us to really self-manage and, and take the ball and run with it in terms of taking care of ourselves. And that doesn't mean you're not going to get sick or whatever, but at least you have a better chance if, you're, if, you're, if you learn about the human body, you learn about what foods to eat, you learn about the importance like in the rabbit effect of having your whole positive attitude and being kind and working with other people. It seems like it, it can all work together. It doesn't have to be Westerns over here and Ayurvedic or whatever is over there. What, what's your opinion on that, doctor? I 100% agree with you. I think, you know, that's the thing. We're all working towards health. And I think, you know, in the U.S., we often confuse healthcare with health. But clearly, health is a much bigger concept that includes a lot of the self-care things you were talking about. Um, and also caring for each other. I mean, really, our relationships are critical when it comes to health, and that's the big takeaway. So give us your your final thoughts, uh, three tips for people in terms of 
based on the rabbit effect, what can people do to best manage their health, happiness, and longevity? I would start with simple. It's usually kinder. It's usually easier to be kinder to someone else than it is to yourself oftentimes. And you can actually learn to be kind to yourself by being kind to others. So, you know, I would start with little simple things like that. The other thing is I would reach out. Um, So what that means is in every little situation you're in, just think, is there something I could do here to make the situation kinder? Can I let that person in traffic go in front of me? You know, can I, um, you know, help somebody out who looks like they're having a hard time in some respects. So just, you know, in your day-to-day, think about that stuff. Uh, The other big thing is I would say, you know, really prioritize your relationships. Like reach out to someone who's meant something to you and just say thank you. Um, That can even be as simple as a text message right after this podcast and say, hey, I was thinking about you. Just want to let you know that. Um, You know, little things like that help. Mm-hmm. And Great. then you asked for a third one. Yep. I was going to say there, there are a million of them. The other one is I would say, look in your communities because we all in our circles of influence have ways that we can improve our surroundings. So, you know, whether it's like, you know, cleaning up a vacant lot, whether it's planting flowers, um, nature, it turns out is fabulous for our health and our immune systems and it lowers rates of depression. But it's like even little things like bring a friend to plant, you know, <laughs> so... Yep. Anyway, oh, I wholeheartedly that. agreed. Well, fantastic. Dr. Kelly Harding, MD. <laughs> the name of the book is The Rabbit Effect. Live longer, happier, and healthier with the groundbreaking science of kindness. This is Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. Thank you so much, Dr. Harding, for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. And as the mom of three boys, I just want to say I really admire your mission. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, great. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be, yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men, better world. All right, Guys Guys Radio, we have a special guest today. We have, her name is Linda Zlotnick, and she's written a book called Star Sisters, an Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. And it's really, she has a fascinating story. And we're going to spend the first part of the show, we're going to talk about uh, her story, uh, Linda's story. Began studying astrology in 1973, and she began full-time practice as a professional astrologer. 2005, she began her study of astrological death charts, which is a kind of different, which she went on to use in her work with clients. She and her wife have two grown children. They live in St. Paul. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Moon Zlotnick. How are you, Moon? I'm good, Robert. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And as I mentioned, uh, I got halfway through mentioning before I cut myself off, I... uh, we're going to do the first part of the show. We're going to talk about your book, Star Sisters, and the amazing things that have happened to you. And then the second half of the book for our listeners, second half of the show for our listeners, we're going to discuss astrology and kind of give a tutorial to our listeners out there because a lot of people look at their daily, you know, they read it for fun in the paper. And there's a lot more to astrology than that. And uh, there's a lot more than just your sun sign. There's uh, the rising signs, very important, et cetera, et cetera. And then also if you have a chart done, it's it's kind of challenging to navigate through on your own. So what we've done, and hopefully there'll be 
some good news there is Moon has been kind enough to do my chart. So the second half of our talk, we're going to talk about my chart. So let's get started right now with the book, Star Sisters and Astrologer's Memoir. So do you think um, when you were growing up with your twin sister, um, when did you when did you realize that you were both intuitive? I think the surprise here is you both are kind of clairvoyant. And you're not the first person I've met on the show who uh, had twins, uh, identical twins, who were clairvoyant. Yes. So it happened. So we played games with each other all the time. You know, like I'm thinking of a number from 1 to 100, you know, or I'm thinking of a deck card from a deck of cards. But it wasn't until we took an ESP test that they had in the newspaper where you cut out those five, <clears throat> five cards, I think a circle, a square, wavy lines, a triangle, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they gave you a, t- uh, they said to time it. And then they gave you like uh, excellent ESP, moderate ESP and no ESP. So we took the test like a lot of times and we always had excellent ESP. And then it wasn't until we went to school, it was in the Sunday paper, so we went to school on Monday, and all of our friends had tried it, and they didn't have any ESP, and we had, like, gotten 8 out of 9, or 9 out of 10, or, you know. Was it a family, something in the family, Moon? I think it was something between the two of us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always knew when she was hurt, you know, I knew when she I was in another country when she decided to go into hospice and I just had a dream that she died. I mean, we were just very, very connected. Did you, did you tell her? Uh, I did you had a dream that she was going to pass? Well, I told her the day that I saw her in the hospital. I mean, she asked me. Okay. She said, you know, you predict futures for a living. What do you think is going to happen? And I, I said to her, you know, this is the end. Okay. So, Wow. So let's take a step back. Um, one last question about twins, and then we'll get into your, your story. Do you think there's some type of spiritual uh, aspect to when a lot of people say that, you know, we determine who our parents are and right. what we're going to do coming into this world? Yes. How, does that, how does that factor in with twins? So I do think that people, if you believe in reincarnation, which I do, which is very common for astrologers, we keep reincarnating with the same soul group. And so I do believe that my twin and I are part of the same soul group and that probably most twins are. And that doesn't mean that every incarnation will be twins, but that would be connected. So you might say in the transition area, kind of, Hey, let's go, let's go in as twins. That'll be fun. (laughs) Learn this or that. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So the story about your, you and your sister, now your sister died a few years ago and, uh, it must have been uh, compl- very traumatic. Tell us, uh, tell us your story and what happened. Well, um, so I think I'll start the story with uh, an awareness that I had because of something in my horoscope. Mm-hmm. So you can't be an astrologer and not know what's happening up in the heavens. It just goes with the job, right? And so I was aware that I was coming into a period of time that indicated a major separation. But I had been doing astrology long enough to know that I couldn't know what that separation would be. So I got a call from my sister that she was in the hospital and they were running tests. And I I knew in that kind of instinctive way that 
that was my separation and that I, this was the end of her life. Mm-hmm. And I think because I knew that, I really was so intentional about being with her and spending time with her and doing whatever I could to be part of the process with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she was a psychotherapist who had become a psychoanalyst. So she was a little bit more, I would say, the thinker, and I was a little bit more of the feeler. Mm-hmm. But during her process of being sick, she became very spiritual. And she took everybody on a wonderfully spiritual journey because she would go to this place she called the place of the golden light, which, you know, I kind of thought, yeah, you've got one world, you got one foot in the other world. Because when she would go there, she didn't feel any pain. Mm-hmm. And there was this beautiful music. It sounded a lot like the descriptions that I'd read of people who had gone to the other side and come back, you know. Mm-hmm. How, 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 uh, how much time before her passing did this start to occur? Mm, boy, so from diagnosis to death was five months. Okay. And somewhere around the two, two month, two okay. month okay. mark. I mean, she was desperately ill and they kept doing different treatments and nothing worked. And so she just got more and more mm-hmm. sick. And so the sicker she got, the more spiritual she got. And so um, the other thing I want to say is that I, I thought I was kind of prepared because I intellectually knew she mm-hmm. would die, but I don't think anything could have prepared me for the emotional devastation. Got it up. was really like being, mm-hmm. it was like, I don't know, I just, I felt like I died when she died. Yeah, I can understand that, of course. Like somebody came and just cut me. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, this is Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. I'm here with Linda Moonrabbit, or Moon Zlotnick. Her book is Star Sisters and Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. So what can uh, readers expect to learn from your story? What do you want them to get out of the book? Well, um, I want them to get out of the fact that it's possible to go through a very, very terrible loss and come out the other side with a, a, a lot of goodness and a lot of fulfillment and a lot of happiness. And uh, my sister's death brought me a whole new study in my life, which I never would have expected. And that's the study of the chart when somebody dies. Okay. And uh, what is the significance of uh, the death chart? And do you do that for somebody like you look at you looked at my chart? I don't know. I hope you're not going to tell me when I'm going to die. But can you when you do somebody's chart, can you tell when no. they're going to die or a death chart is something separate? Yes, it's completely separate. And it's only after the person has already experienced the loss. OK, so in order to do a death chart, you need a time of death. Got it. So astrologers are not in the business of predicting right. Now, are you, uh, I think from reading through the book, you are connected and you had a connection when your sister passed. I think she put her hand on your heart or vice versa. And you guys have been kind of in contact on an ongoing basis. Is that true? Um, Yes, quite a lot through dreams. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not maybe quite as much as I'd like through awake states, Mm -hmm. but yes. And how does she, uh, does she advise you? Or does she just tell you she loves you? Or how, yes, how does that work? I feel her love. Okay. I you feel, feel her love now? Yes. Good. Okay. 
Um, okay, so the name of the book, Star Sisters and Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. Let's see, what else do you want people to know about the book? Because it's, it's really, it's your personal story. You knew she was going to die. Um, you did her death chart. What, what does the death chart actually do? I mean, what does it tell you? Okay. So, so when they're going to die or afterwards, no. what's their next kind right. of incarnation? No, I, no, that's interesting. I wish it would. Okay. No, um, the reason I'm doing this is I learned so much about the chart actually spoke to me in this way of helping me understand that she had fulfilled the purpose that she came, okay. that she was born for. And that even though I wasn't really ready to have her go, it was her time to go. And it also showed me what I think of as uh, a path forward, that that I was in this period of individuation. I was in this period of finding my individuality, finding my uniqueness, becoming, you know, an independent kind of solo traveler, which I had never been before. Okay. So many people, so I've done lots of these charts for people now. And it can, what I think of is give them a way to see a path forward when they're in a very, very dark or bleak place. Mm -hmm. And uh, your sister, I assume, died in a peaceful state. Yes. Let's uh, shift the conversation now. Let's talk about uh, astrology, big picture. So what, what should people know? What are some of the big generalities that people really, if they want to understand astrology better than just reading their daily horoscope, what, are they, what should they know about? What are the significance? And then we'll get into my chart. Okay. So um, many of the columns that you read in newspapers are written by writers, not astrologers. So this is seen as entertainment where real astrology is a very, very ancient practice that developed simultaneously, this is so interesting to me, in many different cultures around the globe, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago. So when you go and see an actual trained professional astrologer, they take not just the day you were born, but the place and the time, and they construct a, 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 a they construct a horoscope that approximately has 144,000 pieces of information in it. Okay. Okay, I mean, this is so layered and so detailed. So uh, there are a variety of offerings that uh, astrologers have. One is a basic birth chart, which is what I did for you. Okay. And that's a way to get a really, um, I think of it as a cosmic perspective on who you are. Okay. Your strengths and your weaknesses, your potentials, your gifts, all kinds of wonderful things show up in the birth chart, life patterns. I would say the majority of people who see me get forecasts. And everybody wants to know what's going to happen. Right, right. right. <laughs> and actually, no, knowing, you, so astrologers do not predict the future. Right. Uh, what we do, uh, what I do is I look at cycles, and cycles have an energy. And then we go back and see when you've had this specific energy before and gather information about what that was like and then project that onto what's coming up. Okay. okay. So, so it's be in tune with your the cycles of your life. Got That's it. That's what astrology offers people, a mirror in a way, to, you know, have a different perspective on what's going on currently. Okay. Let's... Uh 
Let's go into my chart, and as you do it, we talk about the birth sign, the sun sign, and then we can maybe get into the rising sign, then you can tell us the significance of that, why we need to know about that. This is Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny, our special guest, Moon Zlotnick. The book is Star Sisters and Astrologers' Memoir of Twin Loss, and now, right now, on Guys Guys Radio, I'm going to have my chart read, and uh, <laughs> I'm holding on to my seat, fasten my seatbelt. So I just want to say one thing first, is that typically we would spend at least an hour Okay. And, and so I don't think we have nearly that amount of time. But let me just say a couple of things. Is that your chart is very, very condensed. So you have a lot of planets in Scorpio and a lot of planets in Sagittarius. So your sun sign, as you know, is Sagittarius. And it's right next to the planet of talking. You know, it's, so you, your sun and Mercury are conjunct. And Sagittarius, you're right on the very last degree of Sagittarius. So you're on what we would call a cusp. And cusp people tend to be very complex. They tend to be very multi-layer. And some people would say they tend to be very old souls. Okay? So you're not quite a Capricorn. And Sagittarius is very much the seeker on the truth for, the seeker on the path for truth. And Capricorn is kind of the hardworking kind of uh, administrator of the Zodiac. So you have a little bit of both of them in there, but the these two planets, the Sun and Mercury being so close, it gives you just a very, very mental, uh, I mean, you just, everything interests you and you can talk to everybody. I mean, it's a, you're doing a perfect thing with your Sun-Mercury conjunction and it's in the part of the chart that has to do with communication. Wow. So I don't know what else you do besides interview people, but, you know, you could, you could write or you could lecture or you could do a whole variety of things. Okay, that makes sense. My background's advertising and marketing, and uh, I have a novel that's out, and I have other stuff, screenplay and TV series, and we're working on all that kind of type of stuff. So I guess, it, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> all right. And then uh, rising sign, and uh, keep You're going. Right. I, don't, I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. Well, so let me talk about, so the fact that the planets in your chart are very condensed, mm-hmm. so that will tend to describe somebody who has, you know, just from what you said just now, all, you have a lot of different interests, but they all congregate around the same thing, yes. which is the, the communication and these different fields of communication. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. The, you have this very, very... So Sagittarius is very extroverted and fun-loving and gregarious and just very, very social. But Scorpio, which is your moon sign, is very private and very kind of intensely emotional in a moon-behind-the-scenes kind of way. Okay? So um, your moon is very close to this planet Venus. And Venus is the love and relationships planet. But Venus is very close to the planet Saturn, which is the karmic learning planet. So right away, there's a signature for learning life's hard lessons through love relationships. Okay. Okay. I have. (laughs) Say as much or as little about that as you like. But, but, you know, karma is very, very connected to, you don't love casually, first of all, because of the placement of Venus and Scorpio. But then Saturn there, you know, it takes a long time for you to trust somebody and really let them in. 
And you may have really old historical reasons from past lives or from early part of this life mm-hmm. for being explained. Makes perfect sense. Okay. So your rising sign, now let me talk about that for a minute. So the sun is the month that you were born. The moon changes every two and a half days. So that's the position where the moon was. And then the rising sign is associated with that time of birth. And so um, I've done charts for people who were born, you know, in parts of the world where their birth time wasn't written down. So we like in astrology to have an exact time of birth because it gives this point where everything mm-hmm. is associated with the first breath yeah. and that sets the whole pattern of uh, life into motion. So your rising sign is Libra. And Libra is very, very social and very gregarious, much like Sagittarius. But Libra wants to get along with everybody. Okay? So Libra is kind of the diplomat. Libra can see both sides of every situation and sometimes has trouble making decisions. And our rising sign is how we present to the world around us. Okay? So Mr. Nice Guy. Okay? Well, not everybody would say that, but I think if they go peel beneath the layers, they say right. yes. Yes. Okay. So they wouldn't <laughs> say that on first no. impression? No. Not necessarily. Okay. Because typically Libra rising tends to be very diplomatic and very kind of considerate and very thoughtful. And I am, but I'm also a very direct person. Um, because uh, I, I figured we don't have a lot of time, so let's just get to it and uh, be nice to each other. But, uh, you know, why why not be honest? I, I don't mean brutal honesty, you know, tell yes. everybody like bad things, but, you know, just like l- let's not BS each other. Okay. So Sagittarius has a reputation for being blunt. Mm-hmm. That's a word that we associate with Sagittarius a lot. Okay. So um, most of your planets are below the horizon because you were born just after midnight. Right. And uh, that can be a really introspective kind of approach towards life, you know, where there's a lot of kind of things that happen that you need to pay attention to that are inside of you. Got it. And, you know, I mean, obviously you're a very public person too because you do radio and Mm -hmm. all this kind of thing. But, you know uh, it's very clear to me that there are aspects of who you are that are very, very um, introspective. Yes. And that, you know, you spend a lot of time kind of seeking and searching and thinking. Uh, guys, Guys Radio, Moons, Lotnik, Star Sisters, Astrologer's Memoir of Twin Loss. If somebody wants to work with you, Moon, how do they, where can they find you? They can find me on the World Wide Web. <laughs> <laughs> Astrologybymoonrabbit.com. Okay, well, thank you for the education on astrology and for your compelling story about you and your sister. God bless. And um, it's been a pleasure having you on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you very much. Robert Manny's The Guys Guys Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold.
All right, Guys Guys Radio. Interesting conversations with two ladies, bringing some new information out there. Kelly Harding, the book about rabbits, is really about kindness and how being kind can help our health and extend our longevity. So something to keep in mind, besides being the right thing to do to be kind to other people, because let's face it, everybody came from the same source, so there's divinity in everybody. So we have to respect one another, even with all the differences Everybody's going through their own journey and a lot of things we don't know about what's happening with other people. So if they act weird or they're mean or something, try to just step back and say uh, their pain is just being uh, expressed in a different way. I know it's not easy all the time to do that. So it's proven, though, that kindness and uh, connection can really increase uh, your longevity and add to your wellness. Secondly, we spoke to uh, Moon Zlotnick about astrology, and I think I learned a lot about how uh, the charts work and how they are, again, a mirror of what's going on and what our life kind of plan and purpose is. And it's not just, here's what you should do today. Uh, it's more about, here's kind of who you are. And there's a lot when you get into the rising sign and the moon sign, as well as your sun sign. And I happen to be, as we discussed, really on the cusp. So that was our show for today. Again, Guys Guys Radio, it all began with my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. It's about two fellas in advertising in New York City competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's been called The Male Sex in the City. I hope you can check out the book. It's a lot of fun. It's fast. It's fun. Great beach read. But it's, you know, it's, a, it's got some meat to it, and it's got some messaging embedded in it. So I hope you'll enjoy that. You can get it on Amazon or any place where they sell books online. Um, also, our show, as once again, we're on KCAA uh, every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. The show is usually broadcast, rebroadcast on Sundays at 2 p.m., and we can be found on Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, on my website, robertmanny.com, as well as kca.com for streaming. I hope you also check out my website, check out the book. If you like the show, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, and it's been a pleasure being with you again. I love doing the show. I love bringing new information out there for everybody to consider, and I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week. I'll be in Cali. And uh, we're going to have a great time out there. So God bless everybody. Remember, as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.